When we talk about the Christmas spirit, it's like meant to be like a nice thing. You could get possessed by the nice Christmas spirit, but this is like both movies about people establishing their relationship with the possession of some spirit. Wow. Whoa. Our guests today are two of our favorite warm gingerbread cookies straight out of the oven. Podcasters Sarah Marshall and Alex Steed of You're Wrong About and You Are Good, a podcast about movies and feelings. They're here to roll around with me in fake snow and fake blood at the same time. Because something I noticed while making this series is that so many of the writers and directors who mastermind Hallmark Christmas movies have also written and directed horror movies. So for this episode, we watched one Hallmark movie and one horror movie by the same screenwriter to see what these seemingly polar opposite genres have in common. We're reverting to the olden days when Christmas stories told by the fireplace were nothing like the ones we see on Hallmark, but instead were all about winter ghosts and murder. Today, we are your priests here to exercise the Christmas spirit out of each and every one of you. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and this is American Hysteria. Welcome to you both. Thank you for coming on to talk about yes. two of the best genres out there. Low-budget Christmas movies and low-budget movies. Canadian ones at that. At that. I know. Dude, Canadians know how to really stretch a budget and make a fine production. They do, because that's how they make a country. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. For this episode, we watched two movies by the same director, and his name's Ron Oliver, and he does both Hallmark movies as well as horror movies, and he's kind of known as, like, the king of the Christmas scene at Hallmark, and he's very gay, and... I've seen him. It's true. Yeah, he's made the movies we watched tonight, Prom Night 2, and as Mm -hmm. well as Prom Night 3 later, Uh. and also... It's such a generic name. What did we watch? (laughs) We watched Every Christmas Has a Story. Every Christmas Has a Story. I do feel like, and I'm I'm very sorry to be this picky, but like I I was confused about who was who in coming up to this because very specifically, he did not direct Prom Night 2. The only reason I feel like it's important to note that I know he wrote this, he wrote it, Mm -hmm. but it's important because Prom Night 2 is... I know we'll talk about this in a bigger way. It's the one of the most fascinatingly directed movies I've ever seen. So I just want to make sure that Bruce Pittman gets mm-hmm. a nod because holy shit, the yep. choices. It's wall-to-wall choices, this movie. Absolutely. One of my favorite genres, wall-to-wall choices. <laughs> so we're going to try to make it so you guys aren't missing too much since I assume that most of our listeners have not watched both of these films, but that's all right. Yeah, especially because every Christmas has a story 
is only available for purchase. You warned us that it was $7. It's now $10. You have to get it in HD, which is not doing it any favors. So, like, we're going to describe it as best as we can. Do you think it's because we were all watching it? Yeah, I'm sure that's why. Demand went up. You sprang for HD. (laughs) That was the only option presented to me. They were like, you have to watch this thing in HD. There's so much to enjoy. That's like amazing. I love it. You have to see every one of Lori Laughlin's pores. To be fair, she only has seven. <laughs> Maybe more since she has been in the pokey. Yeah. <laughs> At least one occasion, that girl who shows up, the local journalist, I was like, this girl is great. Like, where'd she turn up? And it's it's her daughter. Really? So she, we know she she went to college. So that's good. Is it that same daughter? I feel like she has a whole bevy of daughters. <laughs> I'm honestly, I'm not sure. That character should have murdered her, (laughs) right? She had that energy. She was like Carrie's protege in season two of Sex and the City. I want to become you. Yeah. (laughs) It's, yeah, it's very much like when Miranda and I were watching all these Hallmark movies, we felt like if you just put a different soundtrack under them, they would be a horror movie. Easy. Yes. Also, someone on TikTok, someone has to have done this, right? Right. Like taking a Hallmark movie and specifically playing Angelo Badalamenti, May He Rest, Twin Peaks music over it. Yes. I know. R.I.P. So where are we going, Chelsea? Do you think we can handle a little synopsis synopsis of each of these? Okay. All right. Sarah, I know you're the synopser. Oh, my God. Would you like to synopse? This is a great responsibility. I would love to synopse. Synopse us. Which movie do you think that we should begin with, synopsis-wise? Well, maybe Ladies First, so we'll go Hallmark. Great. Yeah, I think that that's the order in which I watched these. I've determined their genders, I guess. Right. And then, of course, Hello, Mary Lou is non-binary, I would say. Yeah. Non-binary icon. In fact. <laughs> Has no gender identity or affiliation. Or does it have seven? <laughs> it has, yeah, totally. It does contain multitudes. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Our other child, Every Christmas Has a Story, also contains multitudes. And it sure does. Okay. So every... Every Christmas Has a Story is a movie in which Lori Laughlin, I feel like I've heard people say her name some very specific way, like Lachlan or Loglin. Yeah, I brogue it, but I don't think it's necessary. How do you brogue it? Is that Loglin? Like with, with a ch, the, like Lachlan. Lachlan. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Our friend Lori Loch Ness Monster. Yep. Who recently was like soft canceled for pulling strings to get her daughter into a college that she didn't even want to go to, mom. (laughs) You've ruined my life. (laughs) Because she just wanted to concentrate on being an influencer, which, you know, I say more power to her. Let the child not go to college. What's she going to learn there? Economics? (laughs) Well, and Lori ended up in prison for two months for that. And uh, has slowly been making her way back to Hallmark. So it was indeed a soft cancellation right. for something right. that feels larger, perhaps, than Hallmark is treating it. But she back. Yeah. Yeah. The whole journey is very interesting. And so this movie came out in 2016, which was a year before a lot of things happened in America, including Lori Loughlin's <laughs> cancellation, soft cancellation, cancelite. 
And so this is a movie where she plays an L.A. news anchor. Alex, you compared her to What's-Her-Face, Katie Couric, which feels true to me. Very much. It took me a minute to realize that this this was an L.A.-based Today Show-style show. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. She works with a guy who looks like he's on Kroll Show, but isn't. He's some other guy. Just some guy. He's sort of handsome. <laughs> As they always are. I don't remember his name. Uh-huh. I don't care. They dated in journalism school. Carolyn called him an L.A. four. <laughs> yes, exactly. And a North Dakota eight. Yeah, so. for sure. <laughs> Still, it's a Hallmark movie, so not a 10. Not a 10. <laughs> of course. It wouldn't be as uh, relatable, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jason Priestley is a North Dakota 10. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, North Dakota 10 t-shirts all around are in order. <laughs> Ooh, I love it. So they once dated, there's like a little bit of tension, but she's like, don't be silly. I love being a 45-year-old woman who eats popcorn in a robe alone in my like very fancy house while watching negative press coverage of myself. <laughs> I'm very happy. And so she like doesn't like Christmas. And the engine for this movie's plot is that she's like hot mic'd kind of saying the goodbyes at the end of a close to Christmas broadcast. She's just done a puff piece with this guy who has a huge collection of ornaments. He's like trying to give her this angel ornament from a small town in Norway that's very rare and old, even though it looks like you could buy it at a Hallmark store. You probably can. I imagine you can. Vertical integration. Mm-hmm. And she's like backing away from it. She's like clearly a little bit freaked out by it. She's like, oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't really like Christmas. <laughs> And like, this is like the quote that goes around the world. And then to compound that, she like turns around, doesn't realize he's so close behind her, and then accidentally smacks him and sends him flying into a Christmas tree. And he breaks his rare ornament that costs $16.95 at the Hallmark store. (laughs) And so she's like, canceled. (laughs) I mean, it does look pretty bad. It does kind of look like she pushed him. Yeah. There are like eight or nine protesters out front the next morning singing carols at her. With signs. So It's at once absolutely unbelievable because of how soft her rejection of Christmas. Like, it's a very Canadian rejection of Christmas where she's like, I, I actually, I, I don't prefer Christmas for real. Like, she doesn't even, it's not like yes. a, a hatred. She just kind of says it in passing. She's just like, I don't like yeah. it. She's setting a boundary for God's it's sake. It's very nice. And then there are protesters. So it's very believable also because of how ridiculous it is and it elicits a negative response. So it's really, it's a, yeah, mm-hmm. I like this plot twist. Mm-hmm. It's great. And so there's like nine protesters outside. Lori's boss is like, all right, there are eight or nine protesters outside. We have to get in front of this thing. Lori and former boyfriend who's an LA4, Lori and LA4, we're going to send you to North Dakota so you can be an eight and a 10. And you're going to go to Hollyvale, the Christmasiest town in America, in a 200 way tie with all the other creepy towns in Hallmark movies. <laughs> The Christmasiest town in America, which characteristically is filmed in Canada, and you're going to cover their Christmasiness. And then she and LA4 get to town, and it's actually kind of creepy, especially because the mayor, I was like, who is that guy? He's so familiar. Who is he played by? And then after I finished the movie, I looked him up, and he's one of the lone gunmen from the X-Files. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's funny. Storied BC actor. <laughs> wow. 
And they're like famous for their Christmas tree in the town square, but it's like not there. And so Lori's investigating like, where is the tree? And every, it seems like everyone is involved in this great conspiracy. They're tracking her movements. You're like, is she in danger? What's gonna happen? And she uncovers what she believes is the story behind the missing Christmas tree, which is that the man who always supplies them grew up best friends with the mayor, lone gunman, Ted. And they both like loved the same girl. And then did she go off with the mayor and then die or just die? She went off with a mayor and then she died. Yeah, I believe. And she died mm-hmm. at Christmas, right after putting up the Christmas tree. Which she loves. Christmas was like her thing. Yeah. It's her thing. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. anyone else's thing. It's her thing. Now she's dead. <laughs> so he was too sad to donate the Christmas tree. So Lori Laughlin talks him into like making people happy by donating the tree and in the process, in the process, if you will, (laughs) discovers the Christmas spirit. And then, and this twist made me fall in love with this movie, it turns out that all of this was a charade and this movie is like David Fincher's The Game but about forcing (laughs) Gloria Lachlan to discover the Christmas spirit because like that man was never too sad to donate a Christmas tree. They just set an elaborate mousetrap so that she could get in touch with Christmas and forgive her father who she's estranged from and who's the reason she doesn't like Christmas. And he shows up. (laughs) And then he dresses up as Santa. And then her love interest dresses up like an elf. And it's great. And then they kiss. I'm so glad that's the payoff, to be honest, that there was that twist because I was like, wait, wait a second. The issue here is just like Willie Ames is so sad about mm-hmm. losing his partner that he won't send a Christmas tree anymore. Like, wh- oh, that's who Willie Ames <laughs> plays in this. Wow, God. Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. He plays the Christmas tree maestro. <sighs> and I was really glad to find out your I beautifully characterized the David Fincher the game ending because that really helped make mm-hmm. that make some sense. Thankfully, and it was very satisfying. I love that this town has those resources. Yes, they do. (laughs) Yep. Part of what was really weird about it, too, was first, like, we're just going to call her Lori Laughlin. Mm -hmm. She is, like, pretty aggressive to the man who's lost his Christmas spirit due to the death of his wife, which, of course, we find out later is all a charade. But at the time... She's like, how would your dead wife feel about this? Yeah, she says that. She's like, how would your dead wife feel about your fucking sad-ass bullshit? (laughs) Yep, really nice. Cool, cool, cool. (laughs) But yeah, and then it it is this kind of terrifying situation where the whole town's been in on this, like, Truman show thing where the world is like arranging around this woman so she can find her Christmas spirit and uh so that must mean that everyone's in on it, right? Everyone. Like the whole town. Well, she says at some point, does everyone in this town know each other? Because everyone is like just recently talking behind her back about mm-hmm. the plan that makes us think, again, to, to everyone's point so far, this could be a thriller. This could easily be a thriller where she's going to get disappeared or something like along those lines. Mm-hmm. But it's they're just trying to make her happy. The girl in the Christmas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of magic 
with our other movie because our other movie has like six surprise endings which i really like and like every time you think it's over it's like some new thing so this has that same structure going on at the end of it Mm -hmm. which i appreciate but what made this stand out to me from other hallmark movies is i don't find very convincing the idea that you live your fast-paced life in the city and you go to a rural place and you meet a guy and like through that meet cute or whatever like your whole life has changed your heart has changed in a couple minutes i like that like she already had a history with the romantic Mm -hmm. interest which made it more interesting and so that gave us more time to focus on this very elaborate town-wide conspiracy Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's a great point absolutely (laughs) i also love how like because there's so much interesting tension for me between actual hallmark movies and the reality that small town america is being like attacked and starved on so many fronts for so many structural mm. reasons. And last Christmas, I fell in love with Christmas Town, which is a Candace Cameron Bure movie, which I love that they called it Christmas Town because you could mm. call literally any of these movies Christmas Town. And for some reason, that <laughs> hadn't been used yet. And mm-hmm. that movie takes place like basically in Worcester, Massachusetts, based on the geography that it explains. Like the idea of everyone in Worcester, Massachusetts having this like twinkly like Christmas where like they're adopting orphans and giving each other coats the whole time and everything sepia is like just as deranged as a small town in North Dakota having the resources, let let alone the interest (laughs) in like punking this random newswoman for days because they watched her broadcast and decided that she was sad. Yep. And do you think they wanted like good publicity for the town? No. <laughs> you really it's just like everyone's so pure of heart in Hollyvale. I think they're like we're filled with the spirit of Christmas and we just want to like use all of our resources like fuck our own children, fuck whatever public works we have going on. Like everything has to go toward Lori for a few days mm-hmm. here. <laughs> yep. More after this. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat, gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. Hey, podcast listener. 
Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. And now, back to the show. Do you Would you like to run us through prom night, too? Yes. Okay. Okay. So, <sighs> Hello, Mary Lou, colon, prom night, too, <laughs> is the sequel, incredibly, to prom night, which is a movie that thematically has nothing to do with it except that they both take place at prom. But, it, like, it's not the same characters. It's not the same location. It's not the same universe. Unless the universe is prom. And also, all four prom night movies contain the phrase, it's not who you go with, it's who takes you home, which is really funny. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so prom night is just like a kind of a normal slasher. And to me, the most standout thing about it is that Jamie Lee Curtis has like an extended disco dance sequence in it. So you should just watch that. So good. But then prom night too is like incredible. And I remember when I first was watching the Prom Night series when I was in college, I got to Prom Night 2, and it still remains like one of my favorite experiences of going into a movie with no real expectations and just being blown away on every level. So we open with Mary Lou Maloney in 1957, who's a hot and ready young lady who goes into a cathedral, honestly, not even a church, to confess her sins to a priest about how she's been sinful with many boys many times <laughs> and then she's like oh and father there's one last thing I loved every minute of it and then she goes to prom with her date young Michael Ironside but then ditches him to go make out with the bad boy in town and so Michael Ironside decides to get revenge so he throws a stink bomb on her at the moment, she's crowned prom queen, and apparently she's wearing, like, a, a highly flammable gown. Is that why? Yeah, she's wearing anything made before 1989, right. basically. That, like, the second you get next to an open flame, you could combust. Likely the cause of spontaneous human combustion. Yeah, I mean, especially, I'm sure, Kelsey, you've researched this, especially in the, like, mid... 19th century, it was like really a known thing for women to just combust because they got too close to an open flame. Mm -hmm. And what they were wearing was so combustible. And like people knew it was a problem, but they were like, but they look so good. <laughs> it's prom. <laughs> <laughs> and so Mary Lou bursts into flames and is burned to death. And I mean, when we say burst into flames, I think I've never seen more flames on a person in a movie. <laughs> it's an inferno. It's it's like... It's really extended, yeah. Usually they're like, fire quick to give you the idea mm -hmm. that it happened. Nope. But no, this is like, there is flame on screen for like a solid minute straight, if not more. Mm -hmm. You see it like melting off her face. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's... A lot of cutting. Mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. And her only sin was enjoying sex. So remember that for the rest of the movie mm -hmm. you know and she was a little insensitive but we all know why she died it was because of the sex <laughs> we know <laughs> and so cut to 30 years later mary lou is a dead ghost michael ironside has grown up and is principal of the school that they went to and his son 
is dating bum 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 Vicky, played by I believe her name is Wendy Lyons. And she's like a very nice girl, kind of a Betty in the Betty and Veronica playbook. And she has the biggest hair, not like high hair, but just like so blonde and so big. There's so much of it. It's thick. She like crimps it a lot. It's just it's its own. I love it when Vicky's hair is a character. Picture the hair of a girl who has a picture of a horse in her locker. Because Vicky has a picture of a horse in her locker. Mm-hmm. That's true. She does. Like a headshot of a horse. <laughs> a glamour shot. She opens it up and it's just the profile of a horse's head. And I'm like, that makes sense with your hair. Yeah. She has horse girl hair. She probably washes it with horse shampoo. I love it. Which is a thing you can do. <laughs> Did you know that, Alex? No. Yeah. I didn't. Humans can use horse shampoo. Oh, that's great to know. It's not going to do anything bad. And you can do that if you want to feel like a horse. No, it's recommended <laughs> for humans. Like mane and tail is sold in the human aisle sometimes. Wow. You know, when you yeah. go shopping. <laughs> At the human store. And there's an aisle that says horses and there's an aisle that says humans. <laughs> the human aisle. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, in modern day Canada, Vicky wants to get money for a new prom dress but her mother who is a little bit carrie's mom is like i think your old green dress will be just fine and this is a mother and daddy household oh yeah and those are always weird yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. not to give anything away by saying this but someone I, i watched a free version of this on youtube that was dubbed in another language i think but someone described this movie so perfectly as Carrie times Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Yes. And yes. that's, you have the exact mm-hmm. vibes from both of those movies, including Absolutely. light Carrie's mom. Yeah. And it has like the really creative special effects mm-hmm. of yes. a Wes Craven movie. Like there's a part sure. where she gets sucked into a chalkboard. Yes. Oh, that's yeah. so great. And, but it, what they do is they make it like really dark water. And so she's like swimming and thrashing in the chalkboard, but it's obvious that they like mm-hmm. made a whole set on its side. It's just brilliant. Really it great. Boring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful practical effects. They age perfectly. I guess read not to like fangirl about barbarian insufferably, but I just read that the director of Barbarian, whitest kid you know, Zach Kreger, had a rule for himself to, like, stick to the technology that John Carpenter had making the thing. And it's like, well, what do you know? A scary movie. That's great. I love that. And they use CGI for the green and the grass in the flashback (laughs) to the early 80s. Wow. I mean, yeah, Barbarian is probably my favorite horror movie of the year, Uh, personally. Yeah, I just absolutely loved it. It's been a beautiful horror year. Oh, it has. It's hard to choose, but I don't know. I think I had the most fun with Barbarian, for sure. Bah. Bah. So anyway, (laughs) I've been describing Prime Night 2 to people for years as a Degrassi production of a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but I think Carrie Times The Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 is better. That's also, for like pacing, aesthetic, like that's beautiful. I was thinking Degrassi too. It's really funny you say that. I know it's the (laughs) Canada thing. But the other interesting thing, just as a little sidebar that I want to talk about, because this is a good moment, is that Ron Oliver, writer of Prom Night 2, director and writer of our Christmas movie, he also was a writer and director for Are You Afraid of the Dark and Goosebumps. And he also wrote and directed two of my most favorite episodes of all time, probably my two most favorite, which is Tale of Laughing in the Dark, which is the clown one. Mm. Do you guys remember when the nose gets stolen off the clown? Yes, that's like one of the first ones. 
Yes. Yeah. And he has to return it into the haunted house. And then the second one is the ghastly grinner, which is the comic book one. When he makes everybody laugh and the blue goo comes out of everybody's mouths. Do we remember this? Mm-mm. I don't know. Mm. No. All right. <laughs> That's fine. It's uh, <laughs> amazing. I should have made you guys watch them. But yes, he so he also has I found a lot of directors who do both are doing kids shows as well. So kids horror, mm. which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Well, if, if you're key form of making money in the mid 80s was writing prom night Two. you need to do a lot of other things to live yeah (laughs) okay back to our recap so okay so it's modern day times the 80s right now and vicky's friend goes looking in the props area of the school for something to wear for prom everyone's trying to figure out what to wear for their prom dress And she finds, I believe, the crown that Mary Lou never got to wear. And this unleashes her vengeful ghost who kills a bunch of people. I love how we don't really get a motive for Mary Lou aside from revenge. No. What I love about Mary Lou is that she wants to have sex with everyone. And she also wants to kill everyone just pretty indiscriminately. And she always wants to do both as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, is she doing this to get back at the guy who set her on fire? And so she's like going through the family. No, no. It's just like they needed a horny ghost Mm -hmm. to articulate Mm -hmm. what it's like to be a teenager, particularly a confused teenager about what things you're horny about. Yeah. And it's just Mary Lou. Yeah. That's great. It's also like a Degrassi production of The Exorcist (laughs) because she like gradually takes over Vicky and then Vicky becomes like wonderful (laughs) yeah vicky becomes better vicky's great yeah because you can tell that like a lot of this this is a very catholic movie this like takes place in a world where like everyone's kind of catholic and there's priests around which has always been fascinating to me because chelsea i feel like the northwest is like not an ambiently catholic place like other places are so when you see a nun it's really like an event yeah it is (laughs) ambiently catholic you know like milwaukee yeah or boston we see mennonite people a lot yeah so all kinds of stuff happens um vicky falls through a blackboard and it kind of experiences the purgatory mary lou is in the carousel horse she keeps in her room comes lewdly to life she makes out with her dad a little bit while she's possessed her dad does not stop that fast enough Mm-mm. no she makes out menacingly with michael ironside as well he like a little like wipes his bottom lip off like that's his protest is like yeah. when he's mom like, comes oh, in no. and goes what's happening he's like oh oh geez how'd this happen yeah he's like no stop or don't whatever <laughs> Yeah. It's, there's a little bit of it in here. Yeah. yeah. Yep. A little it. bit of Beverly. You can't mm-hmm. just say it, mm-hmm. right? You have to say like it. Yes. It. <laughs> Stephen King's it. Yeah. Stephen King. <laughs> Stephen King's IT. <laughs> Stephen King's IP. So, yeah. And so this leads to a showdown at the prom. Where else? Where Mary Lou, through Vicky's body, recovers her prom queen victory and gets forced out of Vicky's body or does she happy ending or is it Mm -hmm. the end the end (laughs) there's a great moment where her body is laid out 
on the stage and the like spirit, I guess, of Mary Lou like rises out of her body, I which is that. another special effect. And they must have like been coming through the floor through her torso. It's mm-hmm. very cool. Yeah. Just really love those practical effects. It's really fun to look at. And I also love, I watched this on Amazon and I had last seen it as a VHS and I was like, oh, it's going to be kind of a bummer to watch this all like cleaned up and digitized. But uh, no, I had nothing to be afraid of because the version on Amazon just feels like a VHS rip and it looks bad (laughs) and it made me so happy. Watch it that way. Absolutely. So now we have these two movies by the same person or at least springing forth from the same gay forehead, as we said. From the the same carousel horse's mouth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Never look a carousel horse, gift horse in the mouth. When she puts her fingers in its mouth, I had feelings. Well, and it also has a big tongue. It's like, and its eyes eyes are not great to look at with, with your eyes. It has a Freddy tongue. It does. There's a moment where the horse eye turns from a horse eye shape into like a serpentine shape <laughs> in a moment. It kind of turned like it's it's I good stuff. It. It's really good. So now we got to kind of compare these two things because not only Ron Oliver does this. I mean, I have a list of at least nine different people who have done both Hallmark movies and horror movies. So this mm-hmm. isn't kind of like an aberration. This is something that people do they kind of bounce between both of these genres and uh, I think there's like a really practical reason for that which is that they're both possible to make with a low budget and like a quick turnaround so I think that's like the practical reason but aside from kind of those reasons I think we've already established that there are some themes that kind of run through both that uh, you can notice when you're kind of comparing them side by side. So what was the thing that jumped out at you guys the most when you were watching both of these movies or just in general with Hallmark and horror? I mean, they're both about someone going through like a mindfuck situation where they don't know what's real and what's not. (laughs) That's the first thing (laughs) that I think of. Right. Because like one of the things I love about horror movies is that like I think one of the reasons they're so easy to make for a small budget is because, like, dramatically they work better if they take place in a single location. That just is scarier. It sort of lends itself better to horror storytelling, I think. And, like, Hallmark movies are about someone who ends up in a Christmas town. And, like, horror movies are about the bad place. And Christmas movies are trying to be about the good place. But there's just, like, there's always something uncanny about them that could become sinister if you twisted it by five degrees. Yeah. And I mean, even like, it, it kind of feels like when the women are placed in these these new situations, they're often kind of unable to get out in a certain way. Like, totally. Lori Laughlin's kind of forced to be there or she's going to lose her yeah. big job that she loves. And then in Christmas Under Wraps, have you guys ever watched that, Candace Cameron Bure no. feature? No. Um, another one where she flies in to this place that she has to live called Garland, Alaska. And, uh, you know, she has to get flown in there by a tiny two-person plane by her romantic Mm -hmm. opposite. And she can't get out unless he flies her over these snowy Mm -hmm. mountains. 
elves out of this town. And it is really creepy. And she starts Great. seeing elves out of the corner of her eye. And what? the whole town is gaslighting her to protect this secret, which is that Santa fucking lives in the town. Oh, my and- God. So we have that element, which is like, there's some secret. There's a grand secret that like the protagonist is the last to know about and finds out in spectacular fashion. Mm-hmm. There's weird dad stuff, I'd say, in both movies. And we're experts. Uh, our show Oof. started as a weird dad stuff analysis in cinema. So I feel like that spoke to me. You know, when we talk about the Christmas spirit... It's like meant to be like a nice thing. You could get possessed by the nice Christmas spirit. But this is like both movies about people establishing their relationship with the possession of some spirit. Hmm. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Whoa. (laughs) Wow. And it's about the the Christmas spirit, like forcing its way inside your body and making you smack your friend between (laughs) some lockers. And I've been thinking, too, is the priest of the horror movie the Santa of the Hallmark movie (laughs) because in a way they're exercising Hmm. out of the character the Scrooge within them right which is the demonic force that prevents them from experiencing the power of Christ slash Christmas aren't you sad you're not an academia and you can't write like a a, an article about this that takes two years and 45 people read as opposed (laughs) to just saying this on a show that is accessible (laughs) to the public more after this and now, back to the show. Okay, are there any other tropes that we're missing? So what have we got? We've got bad place, uncanny, mm-hmm. can't leave. Mm-hmm. And the tropes, I mean, the tropes in Hello, Mary Lou are, are so queer, and Hallmark <sighs> specials are so, I mean, I, I can think of nothing that is more committed to upholding the, you know, fascist parameters of heterosexuality than that that which like itself almost becomes camp and then mm-hmm. and then goes to another place as a result mm-hmm. which is funny but yeah this they don't have much by way of similarities about what they're dealing with with sexuality i would say because i don't think that there's any sexuality in heterosexuality <laughs> although it's also my theory that in christmas town it's lightly implied that the two old ladies who run the coffee shop are like in a years long romantic relationship yeah, there's always a coded character, right. which we have here with the, with the guy who would get canceled for violating consent expectations for kissing Lori Laughlin on the cheek while making cookies. Like he's our... That was outrageous, that moment. I rewound it and watched it again. It's so good. Mm-hmm. But he's he's our only... He's our token. My question is, we have all these queer directors. We even have like uh, two of the most prolific Hallmark directors are a Jewish couple that just pumps them out, just Hmm. pumps them out. And so it's like amazing. amazing. And so many of these people are queer, you know, or they they're at least have one foot in the queer world Mm -hmm. and can be considered honorary. But my question is, because a lot of people think Hallmark upholding fascist values Mm -hmm. but then it's just all camp in a way Mm -hmm. but it's not quite camp right so it's this really strange middle ground where like what do you guys think when you watch these movies like how much of this is purely camp and intentional the people who are best suited to make heterosexual propaganda are queer people because you can see no one can make something more on the nose about an outside group 
than an outside group because they can just sort of observe all of like the lowest hanging, most observed, lowest hanging fruits. And plus, like it, a part of queerness is being sort of perpetually surrounded by and assaulted by heterosexual culture all the time. And so, yeah. like being able to make essentially heterosexual propaganda that constantly reminds you you are another is, you know, it's it's that's simple. But like, I don't think that there's like anything grand and thinky about the fact that it just happens to be a queer director. I don't think like anything like grandly interesting is going on outside of the fact that because it's so straight, it becomes campy, but it's still serving its purpose, which is reselling people on the idea of becoming possessed by the Christmas spirit and then finding your, your perfect match. (laughs) I think to me, the interesting thing about it is that like, I would love to trace sort of how Hallmark took over Christmas because this is like, they've only been making these movies for like what, what, 25 years, maybe 30. And like, they didn't used to make, one million of them. Kelsey, when did it become like a factory? Well, there's like a lot of different stages, but (laughs) so the very first big Christmas Mm -hmm. movie was called The Christmas Card, and it's about Mm. a soldier in Afghanistan. Actually, this is interesting. Mm. Dear Abby used to do these campaigns where you would write to service members. They would get the card, but you wouldn't know each other. Mm -hmm. So that was the premise of sort of this where they she writes a letter to a man serving in Afghanistan who then finds her once he returns home. And so that that was the kickoff, which is a very interesting kickoff, I think, in terms of what was happening in 2006 when this came out. A surprisingly political kickoff compared to now where they're like, what world events are happening? Nothing. Mm -hmm. None. (laughs) Well, that's what they did. They slowly kind of chipped away at anything you could like hold on to because Hallmark's like banner, banner year was 2016, mm. which I think obviously is... Pourquoi? Yeah, right? And if you hold up the election maps, they match perfectly with like mm-hmm. those who voted for Trump are also big Hallmark fans, mm-hmm. which of course is not really surprising mm-hmm. at all. But then that banner year in 2016 kicked off the Christmas movie wars, which we talk about in our episode, mm-hmm. which is when Lifetime came in, Netflix, mm-hmm. they all started fighting kind of over diversity. That's what mm-hmm. they were like, well, if Hallmark's not doing diversity, I can do it. I can make money off of this. And so it's just been this like big war. But after 2016, is kind of like they just became so sickly sweet and saccharine. And I think it's really because we needed that escape we needed something to be completely apolitical which of course it is not right (laughs) you cannot make apolitical content but in their minds in the minds of this prior ceos that's what they were trying to do Mm -hmm. was to make this apolitical content now they have a black ceo named wanya lucas who's very cool Mm -hmm. and she's really like changing everything about the company which is why candace cameron beret and others are defecting to the great american family So the other thing I was thinking about with this Mm -hmm. is the traditional values thing Mm -hmm. is really interesting to me because in Hallmark movies, we're constantly told that they're reinforcing traditional values. Sure. The woman comes in, she gives up her big time career to settle down and start a family in a small rural town. Mm -hmm. Right. We get that. But in horror movies, Mm -hmm. we're also seeing the traditional values reinforced through like more extreme means in a way. And mm-hmm. I know that horror is really complicated when we're talking about what's the message of it, how much of it is camp, how much of it's a commentary. But, you know, we're, I'm watching, as you mentioned, Prom Night 2 is about punishing this person who is slutty, mm-hmm. as we see in so many 80s and 90s horror movies. 
I, I just think that that's really interesting that they're both kind of pushing these same values, but there's obviously a difference between them. Well, the, the difference is that horror, the horror always get not always, excuse me, not true, but horror <laughs> often is like a nice playground to the point we were talking about earlier. It's like if you're a director or a writer or someone who has like some sort of a bigger vision in horror is how you're going to start. You have an expectation of text and then you have a lot of room to work with subtext. And Prom Night 2 is most laudable, not because it's a movie about a woman who is punished with her life because of how sexually adventurous she is. It's because all that they do with using that text in order to tell this whole subtextual story about her struggle with who she is inside, like potential, you know, potential queerness, potential like wanting to, to just be slutty, like all these things are happening uh, underneath, literally underneath. I mean, we see this stuff that plays where like Mary Lou, who she's possessed by is under her skin. There's all this stuff that's happening. Mm -hmm. And the thing that like, I'm just not ready to give Hallmark any, this movie that I saw, at least in particular, any benefit of the doubt is I don't see anything subtextually happening at all. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think to your point, like it's very enjoyable to watch because of how satisfying it is. I was saying to Sarah, it's like, first 10 minutes you get the sense of like how this person's broken next 20 minutes you see how their life is broken in in that particular way then you get the setup of like of where they're going to have it fixed then in the third you know it fits a very particular model but it really does feel like decades of iterations have happened where they trim anything that might upsetting anybody anywhere to the point where like this movie doesn't have subtext unless you both saw it. It's just saying like, here's how to find Christmas. <laughs> like, and that's, mm -hmm. that's satisfying in a way that's kind of sometimes what you really want or need. It's why these things are satisfying. Cause like, I don't need everything to have like a grinding subtext. I enjoy it when it happens, hmm. but sometimes you just want to see a movie that's like text. <laughs> I mean, probably because I went to grad school, and if this argument were untrue, then grad school would be much more unnecessary than it already is. But I think something can have unintended subtext. Oh, for sure. What would you see that in this? I mean, I guess the idea that, like, if you make a normal Hallmark movie, like a by-the-book Hallmark movie, you cannot help but make something that if you twisted it five degrees or put Angulo Badalamenti over, it would be a horror movie. <laughs> and like that in itself, I think, is a subtext of the genre. Like, mm -hmm. And to me, like what's the most interesting thing about these Hallmark movies is that they have such a following among people who enjoy them in like a camp way, I would say. Certainly I do. And to me, part of the joy of them is contemplating like how nightmarish the dream they represent is mm -hmm. where it's like a woman goes to a small town and then is forced to stay forever. Like it's petrifying. And it's like, yeah, this is how, you know, Thunder Road has the same plot as that Joyce Carol Oates story about a serial killer. This is like about how the, <laughs> the dream of romance and the dream of Christmas are all part of the death drive. Right. Or because she didn't say the right thing about the thing that everybody celebrates, it feels a little like Midsommar, right? Like she didn't say the correct thing about Christmas. And so she sent off to re-education yeah. against her will with this guy. And she's like forced in this town where a conspiracy plays out to trick her into liking the right thing. Yeah. 
Well, right. And also the whole thing where she's like, oh, I don't really celebrate Christmas. And everyone loses their minds. It's like, so scary. You right. can't help but connect it to the fact that, like, we're, we're living in a country that now where it's like if anyone was being subtle 10 years ago about still wanting to exterminate Jews, like, nobody's shy anymore. Like, we're now just right. like, yeah, we just Americans still want to exterminate Jews. And it's like, well, great, like that you can't then like have a non-sinister depiction of a world where someone mentions that they don't celebrate Christmas. And and yeah, everyone sends her to re-education camp <laughs> in arguably America's Siberia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's a tremendous point. Uh, you, you articulated it so well where it's like, yes, absolutely right. Like there is a subtext. I, I just think that there's not interesting intentional play happening there but yeah the t subtext happens to be like actually substantially more terrifying than the subtext of a horror movie and the, the last thing that i want to talk about that i've been thinking about is on the hallmark side we're telling a story about kind of like the ultimate love right so it's all about the Christmas spirit, it's about falling in love, but it's also about like loving your community and doing all these like very sweet, beautiful things. And then in a horror movie, it's like this ultimate story of death and mm -hmm. violence and gore. And so it kind <laughs> of is like they stand on these two extremes of like love and death. And that's my grad school thesis. <laughs> They're perfect mirrors to each other in that way, too, because the subtext of the fun one is terrifying and the subtext of the scary one is is liberating. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I would also say that Christmas is so much about death, <laughs> right? Like to the point that the original lyrics of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, which I believe Judy Garland refused to sing because it made her too sad was have yourself a merry little Christmas. It might be your last <laughs> because like oh my God. every year at the holidays, right? Like we, most of us come together and at a certain point you're in a room with a lot of people you love and you look around and you're like, who's going to be dead next year? You know, mm -hmm. babies are being right. born. Babies will be kids next year. Kids are growing up. Like it's like the time when we sort of look around and like, mark the passage of time and think about mortality speeding towards us like an elk on the road in Norway. Or is it a moose? And it's about welcoming this baby who will be sacrificed. Ooh. Yeah. Good point. Good right. point. For unto us a son is given and we're going to kill him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like originally Christmas was all about ghost stories. Like in right. England it was like you told ghost stories at Christmas. You yeah. didn't tell happy silly stories you told brutal ghost stories as the english do great point do you also think maybe chelsea this is something i wondered while watching this that like there's something about hallmark christmas movies where like you can just kind of have them on in the background you're not going to miss anything you don't have to pay attention it's kind of the same template over and over and it's people being like so over the top christmasy and not just in hallmark movies but any of the kind of Christmas movie war channels that are doing this where like mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. has to happen in a Christmassy way, you know? Yep. People are constantly doing crafts and having Christmassy like hot cocoa and cookies and they're standing next to festive decorations. And I feel like there's something about these movies that like, I was just watching this and I was like, do people go this hard on Christmas in real life? Like how many people do? And then I was mm -hmm. like, no, we make the movies like this so that we don't have to do it in real life. Because if you watch movies where people are like decorated to the hilt 
then you can feel like you're kind of getting your pound of decoration and you don't have to do it because you're a sad millennial who can't afford to like visit your family or is estranged for them and isn't going to put fucking lights on your house. Right, right. Yeah, it's like a hyper reality happening. Yeah. On your screen. Or it's like porn. Yeah. It is. <laughs> or it's not like porn because it's not realistic in the way porn is, right. where porn is always so convincingly sad a lot of the time. Or not sad, <laughs> but just like it's real. There's no romance to it. It's yeah. bodies slapping each other. You know, this is like mm -hmm. erotica. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, you're right because they actually have a job. One of the people who works for Hallmark goes in and decorates each frame and they have all these different things they have to hit. It's like somebody got to bake cookies. Somebody's got to do this. And there are these like marks they have to tick off of their Hallmark Christmas movie list. And yeah, there's like designers that come in because they want as much as possible for every frame to contain as mm. much Christmas as you can possibly jam in it. Right. And to, to that point, like I, I've gotten insufferably into reinvestigating the surrealist, as both of you know, because I've messaged you both about <laughs> it. But, you know, that what these also have in common, and this is why I think, Sarah, the Twin Peaks theme would work so well over this outside of just the themes, is the imagery in both of these movies is profoundly, like literally surreal. Mm -hmm. Like it's has a a substantial foot in reality and then enough of a foot in like a dreamlike place that it feels uncanny in a way. And just knowing that there's someone in there like doing set decoration or basically figuring out how many pieces of iconography need to exist in the scene in order to evoke what I'm sure they figured out like scientific emotional responses <laughs> of the audience. Mm -hmm. These literally do take place like in a Lynchian universe in that it feels partially dreamlike and like in any dream, it could go one way or another at any moment. It could oh, go towards yeah. the, you know, satisfying or it could go towards the terrifying at any moment. That's so good. That's so true. I feel like one of the things that works for me to create that effect is that Possessed by Mary Lou, Vicky does make out with like so many people where like when you're watching this, you will have a rogue thought of like, what if she made out with that person? But I think that like a hundred times per movie and it hardly ever happens. Mm -hmm, but in this movie, it happens three times. <laughs> and you're just like, am I making this happen? Am I creating this movie for myself? <laughs> Can we talk very, very briefly about, you know, what, again, like in uh, 2022 TikTok parlance, correctly, people would be like, well, that was a sexual assault that she participated Which in. Which one? Specifically her coming onto the woman in the shower, where it goes from like her being like nice for a second to again, like this is where it becomes dreamlike and it goes one way or another mm -hmm. to then she gets kind of like handsy in a way that the person is not uh, equipped for and she runs away. That woman was into it, right? Like that <laughs> that woman was happy she was coming on to her in that way until it like transgressed a particular moment. Was I reading that correctly? What was your read on that shower makeup in? Well, it began with her touching her arm, which is something that girls do. Like you, there's a lot of gray area with girls in the shower, to mm. be honest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, same with guys, I will say. <laughs> It was like a metaphor for how it felt for me as a 12-year-old gay person to be in a locker room. Like, I could be yeah. either of those people. I'd be like, ah, I, I you know, I don't want anyone totally. to know I'm gay. I got to run away from mm -hmm. the situation. Right. Or, like, I feel like someone's running away from me because mm -hmm. I did something innocuous. But, you know. I felt like that was the most packed 
scene of the movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, there's so much subtlety going on on when it goes from welcome response to unwelcome response, evoking sort of the anxieties that you're talking about, Chelsea, that feel like this whole movie is speaking to. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure mm-hmm. that, you know, if you do watch this movie, look out for that scene. Yeah. I, find it, I find it fascinating. Me too. Me too. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And thanks for sharing that experience, Chelsea. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 Also, <laughs> speaking of Twin Peaks, like this movie... Like, just to give credit where it's due, predates Twin Peaks by a couple of years and features a doomed slut walking into her 80s high school wearing, like, a big 50s outfit with a sweater and saddle (laughs) shoes. And uh, credit where it's due. That's all I'm saying. This movie invented the 1950s. Sarah, to the point that comes up, I feel like, so often on You Are Good is this is another 80s movie with, like, one and a half feet firmly planted in the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean... Essentially, every Hallmark movie takes place in the 50s, or at least codedly does, right? It's the. Again, I mean, it is both movies so strangely come down to this traditional values thing. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter what they're saying about them, but it it is like there's something about them in like an urban legendy way or something Mm -hmm. where they're like Mm -hmm. interacting with our social norms in a way that I don't think other movies do in the same way. I think prom is also like the Christmas of teen movies or of horror wow. movies where it's like, right, like when the baggage of years past comes back and like, yeah, and there is something so ghosty about Christmas as the Victorians understood, like you were saying, where it's like, yeah, you're like thinking about the past. Anything annual has like a spooky component to it if you're willing to let it in. You know, you go far enough back in history and like prom's origin is grand event from um, Midsommar. You know, like I feel like it's like it's like we're getting the stripped down like late end of the party version. But usually when you had like a big annual party, you were dealing with like very, very, very heavy themes. <laughs> Life, death, possibility, future. It's a lot to happen in one night. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on and uh, really breaking down love and death as we always try to do thank you so much i love to break down love and death and then eat it in a picnic with you chelsea oh put it on the tree (laughs) intestine garlands all across our christmas tree (laughs) this was american hysteria make sure you listen to you are good and you're wrong about wherever you get your podcasts as if I need to tell you to do that. If you love our show and want to get ad-free early episodes as well as bonus content, head to patreon.com slash American Hysteria. If you're feeling generous, leave us a five-star review on the app of your choosing. It's a really easy way to help our show out. This episode has sound by Clear Como Studios and was produced by Miranda Zickler. And as always, I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Thanks, as always, for listening. And from all of us at American Hysteria, we wish you the happiest holiday season, whatever that means for you. Have a great week. Ho, 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 Merry Christmas.